Well, tonight I want to wrap up our study over the armor of God. So that ought to be plenty doable. We're down to uh, verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. So if you'll go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So the helmet of salvation... Let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, I come to you right now, Lord. And God, I thank you for this music that we've heard and and the the message that the words of those songs tells us, Lord. And I just want to give you praise right now, Father. I lift up your holy name. Lord, you are so mighty. You're so awesome. You're so worthy of praise, Father. You've done so many things for us, Lord, but... I don't even have to praise you based on your merit. I can just praise you because of who you are. And Master, you are wonderful. Your word tells us that that you are good and that your mercy endures forever, Father. And I thank you for that. And Lord, as we finish up this study of your armor tonight, your holy armor, Father, I ask that you would just give me boldness to speak, that you would anoint me to speak, Father, that I would say the very things you'd have me to say bring out things that maybe I hadn't even thought of myself, Father, because of the Holy Spirit moving. And Lord, I ask that you just prepare the hearts of those that are here tonight to receive. Lord, that they would receive something, Lord, that they may have never seen before. That something would come to light, Lord, that their knowledge would be increased. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Thank you very much. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. The helmet of salvation. So what does a helmet do? Anybody. Protects your head, right? Protects your head. I think anybody here, even my son, knows what a helmet's for. It's to protect your head. And that's important. Because let's face it, if you get hit in the head, it doesn't matter what else armor you got on. If, If you get knocked unconscious... Nothing else matters because anybody can do what they want to you then. And you know, there was several different types of helmets, but obviously the best kind of helmet is one that even if you were hit in the head with a sword, it wouldn't penetrate. That's the kind of helmet I would want to wear. So was this the only purpose of a helmet though? You know, I've watched, I like I like watching movies. Y'all probably figured that out by now. I like movies. <clears throat> and I've seen many different movies that depict battles, especially in like 
what they called the dark ages, you know, when there was knights and people that got out on a battlefield and swung swords at each other and shot arrows at each other. And you know, I've noticed that these helmets weren't always just a plain helmet. It wasn't just something to cover your head. Sometimes they were used as a way to strike fear into their enemy just by their very appearance. So they would they would dress these things up to look scary so that when they encountered their foe, they would, before they even attacked, they would already have put some sort of doubt in the heart of their enemy. So there's multiple purposes for a helmet. It's not just for protection. Obviously, that's the the key reason you would have a helmet on. But let's examine for a minute what this helmet of salvation. You know, I've, I've done some reading and I want to share another scripture with you and this supports what I'm going to tell you. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. So this helmet of salvation is obviously about salvation, but what is salvation to a Christian? It's our hope. It's, it's the thing that we are hoping for. And it's not just salvation from our sins. It's, it's, there's, it's at least three different things I can think of, and I wanna, I'm going to read them to you. Pardon me for going back and forth to my notes, but I want to make sure I hit all these points. <clears throat> Our salvation is from the curse of the law, the guilt of sin, and the power of the grave. So you see, we're, we're delivered from the penalties of this law, not only the penalties, but being in bondage to the law. You know, we have liberty as Christians. And there's a whole lot of Christians that don't understand what that liberty is. Paul tried his best to explain it to us. And, you know, it's not easy to understand. But that liberty is the thing that makes us different. That liberty is the thing that sets us free. You know, Jesus said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We're no longer in bondage to that law. And we're also saved from death, physical death. Now, does that mean we won't die? No, we know we will. The Word tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die. But we have a hope of resurrection. We have a hope, something that points to our eternity. And that's something else that we're the only ones that have. We're the only religion that, that has assurance of where we're going to go when we leave this earth. Everybody else thinks, well, if I live good enough, I might make it to heaven. Or whatever they believe in. See, it's all, a, uh, it's all a, kind of like Russian roulette. You might come out on top, you might not. Man, that's a terrible way to live. But we have hope. So this helmet of salvation, I'm going to tie all this together in a minute, but I've got to 
explain where I'm going first, okay? So while we're on the topic of hope, 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this hope allows us to exhibit a fearless front. Those aren't Kevin's words. Kevin can't talk like that. (laughs) Okay? But it's right. It allows us to exhibit a fearless front. Because we know where we're going. We know who we are. We know what we're entitled to. We don't have fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of peace, love, and a sound mind, right? So that helmet of hope is an outward outward, um, example, an outward sign to other people that there's something different about us. Now look at that scripture, right? Well, I probably didn't have you turn there. But that scripture in Peter, he says, Be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asks a reason for the hope that lies within you. You know what that tells me? That tells me I don't have to go around telling people that I have hope. They ought to be able to look at me and see something different about me. They ought to be able to look and see hope within me. And they ought to say, you know what? I don't have that kind of hope. And that's something I want. There is something that that guy has that I don't understand that I've been looking for all my life. And I need to go ask him what that is. Hope and salvation, right? always to give an answer to anybody that asks. See, that helmet is on your head because that's where people look. People don't walk around looking at each other's feet for conversation. Some of you women walk around examining other women's shoes, but that's not what I'm talking about. When you go to speak to somebody, you look them in the eye. That helmet is on your head. People ought to look at you and be able to see a difference. And you know what? If I live like I have been living, I don't always have this outward appearance of hope. In fact, sometimes people look at me and they say, what in the world is wrong with you? Did somebody kill your dog? You know, you just, you get kind of, I'm tired. You know, I mean, I know sometimes we really are tired. Sometimes we really don't feel good. But it's real easy for us as Christians to get in that frame of mind and forget that, oh, wait a minute, we have a blessed hope of salvation. There's something I ought to be looking forward to. There's something that ought to, that I have, nobody else in this world has other than other Christians, that, that I ought to find joy in. Man. 
<clears throat> we're kind of pathetic sometimes, ain't we? Sword of the Spirit. We've talked about the sword kind of briefly in passing. <coughs> Excuse me. And we all already know that this is our main weapon, if not our only weapon. So let's think about this for a minute. Have y'all ever really sat and examined and wondered why the Word of God is called a sword? Well, let's, let's look at some Scripture before we go too much further in that. <clears throat> see, where is that in? Hebrews 4 and 12. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So there's another place it's called a sword. I'm sure there's probably more. I didn't, I didn't go look up how many times it's called a sword. But what is a sword used for? You know, you've got, you, you look at a soldier. He's standing there with all this armor on. He's got his shield in front of him. What's going to happen if that guy starts marching out on the battlefield and the commander says, okay, y'all get ready, attack. And he goes and reaches and he says, I forgot my sword. What's he going to do? He can't do nothing but just huddle down behind that shield, right? Well, we've talked about the shield of faith. And man, that shield, it says, above all, take the shield of faith. It's important. Oh man, is it important. You've got to have that shield to fend off the fiery darts of the enemy. But what in the world are you going to do without a sword? What's the sword for? That armor and that shield is good to protect you. But a sword ain't about protecting you, is it? A sword is about fighting off the enemy. Keeping him at bay, at distance. Because if he gets so close that I can reach him, he ought to be in trouble, right? If he gets within my reach, I ought to be hitting him. <clears throat> so what's the sword for? It's to fight off the enemy. Now, I've got a few examples of, of what I'm talking about there I want to share with you. <clears throat> it's for repelling temptation. Now, remember, as I'm talking about this sword, we're talking about the Word of God. Okay, for repelling temptation of the enemy, destroying Satan's works, opposing error. Now, what does that mean? The other ones are kind of simple. We understand that. But what does it mean to oppose error? You know what false doctrine is, right? If you don't know how to use your sword. You ain't going to know how to fight off false doctrine. I want to remind you that helmet is to protect your head. 
That helmet protects you from false doctrine coming in. And in seeking the conversion of sinners, okay? So repelling temptations, destroying Satan's works, opposing error, and seeking the conversion of sinners. So you've got this sword. Have y'all ever picked up a real sword? Like like one that a knight would have carried. Not, not one of these little cheesy looking samurai swords. I'm talking about a real sword. Have y'all ever seen the movie Braveheart? That's the sword that guy carried was six foot long. And I guarantee you it was not light. That was a two-handed sword. It took both hands to hold that thing. See, a sword takes not only strength to carry it, but it takes knowledge. You have to know how to bear that sword. You have to know, what's the term they use, wield? You have to know how to wield that sword. That means when you don't just walk up and start swinging wildly, right? There's technique to it. There's knowledge and training that goes into using a sword. You know, if at all possible, they would take people and train them and and instruct them into how to use this equipment. Do y'all notice that when David was going to fight Goliath, they suited him up with armor and this sword and everything? I want y'all to understand, it wasn't just his physical size that was a problem. He had never used a sword. He didn't know how to use a shield and a sword and everything. It was, it was uncomfortable to him. Unfamiliar. So what did he do? He went to what he knew how to use. Besides the fact that his faith was not in a physical armor, his faith was in God. But you look at, at this sword, we're talking about the Word again, remember? We talked a little bit this morning about this. In Sunday school, you become comfortable with the Word or your sword by knowledge of it, right? Using it. Studying it. I guarantee you if I was a soldier and I had to carry a sword into battle, knowing that my life depended on not only carrying my shield and my armor, but knowing how to use this sword to keep the enemy off of me, Man, I would spend some time practicing with that thing. I would spend some time studying it, making sure there wasn't no flaws in it. Huh? You understand what I'm talking about? You see, there's, it's, it's one thing to trust God just because He is who He says He is, but you need to know for sure what you believe. Look, but basing it... Look, oh man, y'all hang on now. Listen... That Word is good when your preacher tells you this is what the Word says. But you need to be checking out. You need to make sure what the Word says. Because otherwise, what happens? Oh man, what does Jude say? (laughs) Y'all, let's turn over to Jude. (sighs) Y'all going to get something out of this before it's over with.
Jude verse 4, For there are certain <clears throat> certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when those people crept in unaware, and you're talking about though they were unaware, talking about you were unaware that these men were coming in, spreading their lies. When you don't know what the Word says, somebody can get up in front of you, and I promise y'all, look, you may have the best intentions. You may think, oh, I love God so much. But if you don't know what His Word says, it's real easy to tell you something and make it even... Look, I can, I can speak in Old English and make it sound good. You think, man, that sounds just like King James. But if you don't know what it means, I can be telling you a bald-faced lie. You got to know how to use that sword. You got to examine that sword. Make sure there ain't nothing wrong with it. Figure this stuff out for yourself. Look, there ain't no better way to to testify to somebody than to testify of a revelation you've gotten from God. And I'm not talking about what somebody told you. I'm talking about when you've sat and studied and prayed through and God all of a sudden through the Holy Spirit reveals something about His Word to you. You say, oh man, that was good. And you can't wait to tell somebody. And you know what? When you go and talk to them, there's power in it. Because you have learned something about your sword. And you know how to use that part of it. The Word of God is awesome. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine." For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Second Timothy two and fifteen. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I've mentioned this before. Do y'all know what it means to divide the word of truth? I used to think that meant to understand it. That's not what it means. My wife, every evening when we have supper, divides the food into portions for our kids, right? Do you think she gives my youngest one the same portion that she gives to me? Or the same portion that she gives even to my oldest child? No. She gives them what's right for them. And rightly dividing the word of truth means that you have enough knowledge of what the word says and means. This is crucial. You can quote scripture to somebody all day, but you might as well be talking to a wall if you don't understand it. Rightly dividing the word of truth means that when the situation arises, you have studied that word enough to know what it is you need to share with somebody at the right time. Giving out what they need. Not what you feel like they ought to have. Not what sounds good. But through the leading of the Holy Spirit, giving them what they need. 
Study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Man, there ain't no worse thing. Have y'all ever had somebody ask you a question and, and you just had to kind of hang your head and say, I don't know. When they're asking you something about the Bible or maybe it's something you should know. It's just, and you're like, man, I just can't remember where it's at. Ain't that embarrassing? It's, it's just embarrassing. I hate when that happens. It's happened to me plenty of times. But when we study and we know the Word and we feed on it daily, God will put us in the right place at the right time. See, this is the thing. When you're actively seeking God and you're working for Him, and He's not just going to dump you out in the middle of somewhere and put you to a test that you're not ready for. But when you're trying to be prepared, trying to be ready, just like Peter said, always ready to give a reason for that hope that lies within you. Now let's go on to uh, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always. Prayer is the final piece of this armor. And you notice it didn't really call it a certain type of armor. It didn't call it a sword or a breastplate or anything like that. But I'm telling y'all, prayer is a vital piece. It's the thing that kind of ties all of this together. It's the thing that makes all of this useful. And it's not just the prayer. I want y'all to notice that he says, praying in the Spirit. Because remember, this is spiritual armor. This is God's armor. The armor of the Lord, right? This is His business. This is a spiritual thing. You know, I go to the Lord praying a lot of times and it's not in the Spirit. Oh, God, help me. There ain't nothing wrong with going to God and asking for prayer. Asking for help in prayer. But there's a big difference in a regular prayer and praying in the Spirit. You know, when, I, when I've prayed in the Spirit, I end up praying for things sometimes I didn't know I needed to pray for. People that I didn't know needed prayer. When you begin to pray in the Spirit, you begin to you kind of let go of your own self and let Him do the, the praying for you. Let Him do the work. You just open up and let Him do His thing. And see, that's what Paul was talking about here, is that when you're going into spiritual battle, you need to make sure you're in the Spirit. Man, I don't make, I almost don't make any sense, does it? Well, let's, let's try to hit that from a different angle. Well, I told you. Y'all, excuse me, my nose is running something terrible. Let's back up for a second. He says praying always. You know, this ain't the only place that Paul mentioned praying always. Over in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, he says pray without ceasing. 
And I've always looked at that and wondered, what in the world is he talking about? Because it ain't possible. I, I just don't see no way. But you know what? He told us at least two times that I know of right here that I've read tonight. Pray always and pray without ceasing. So that must mean he found a way. He wouldn't have told us to do it if he wasn't already doing it himself, right? And this wouldn't be divinely inspired word of God if it wasn't possible. So how is it he's doing this? Well, I ain't even going to lie to y'all tonight and say I figured it all out. But I'm telling you right now that being in an attitude of prayer, there's times that I don't I don't do this all the time, but I, I want to get to that place where I do it more often. But there are times that I have just been in an attitude of prayer all day long. I'm, I'm going, I went to work, I do my job, I'm doing what everything I need to do, but every time I've got a, a moment that I'm not thinking something else, I'm thinking on the Word of God. I'm praying and just, yeah, just letting God deal with me. And I'm going to tell you all, it makes for such a good day. <laughs> Everything else just washes over you, doesn't even stick to you. And you leave work thinking, oh man, this has been a good day. And very often. But apparently Paul had figured out a way. And that's what we need to be striving for. He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And notice that he says, for other saints. You know, <clears throat> Brother John hit on something this morning in Sunday school, and I kept wanting to say something, and I just held my tongue, but it's real hard to be angry at somebody when you're praying for a blessing for them. Real hard. You may start out that way and you may just do it in obedience, but I guarantee you by the second or third time you're praying for somebody to be blessed, you can't help but have love for them. It changes your whole attitude. And look, when I say pray for somebody, make sure you notice I said for a blessing for them. Because I've seen people pray and say, God, give them what they deserve. God, you need to show them, you need to correct them, teach them the right way. That ain't what I'm talking about, y'all. That ain't what I'm talking about. You see, all you're doing is praying out your anger. And you're going to feed on it. But when you start praying, say, God, I don't know what they're going through, and I just ask that you bless them. You see, because you really don't. You don't know what they're going through. And that Scripture there we read in verse 18 says, to be praying for all other saints. That don't mean... It means you can't pick and choose the ones you want to pray for. You can't say, well, I ain't going to pray for him. I'll pray for him over here, though, me and him get along good. See, that's not the way it works. Thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Tell you what, Paul had a way of making people uncomfortable. You know, this word, this sword of the Spirit, this word of God is God's word to a soldier. 
It's his sword, right? But y'all understand that prayer is something a little bit different. Prayer is God's word with a soldier. See, there's there's a difference there. See, when when you're in the military, or just imagine back in these times when these people are on battlefields fighting. You see, there's training that goes in, instruction and direction. And you do this, you do that, don't do this, do it this way. But when you get on the battlefield, it's not time for that instruction anymore. You need to already have that in you. You understand what I'm saying? See, when you go into battle, training is not now. Training should have been done back in garrison. Training should have been done, what they call in the army, in the rear. Where it's safe. You've got time to learn and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. But when you get on the battlefield, you need to be ready to take orders. And to give feedback to God. Say, God, this is what I see happening. What do I need to do? And He's going to say, you need to use this weapon. You need to fight like this. See, that's what prayer is about. It's about this communion with God. And that communion... See, a lot of times we think of prayer as just a... It's it's this soft little thing that just... But I'm telling you all, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Understand what you're doing when you're in battle and you talk to God. You're talking to your commander-in-chief. You're talking to the one in charge of your army. You're receiving direction in the battle from Him. So it's very important. The last thing you want in battle is to be cut off from command. You don't know what to do. And you may think, well, I can handle myself. Well, that may be, but you don't know what's coming at you. You don't know who's surrounding you. You don't know what you're about to drive off into around the corner. But when you stay in contact with the one in charge, the head man, he can fill you in on that kind of stuff. He can let you know what's coming up ahead. Now, why did we study all this? Let's go back and look at verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 6. Kind of remind everybody. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... Stand therefore. And he goes on to explain the different pieces. So you see the whole point is to stand. Take a stand. There's a whole lot of people, especially Christians today, don't want to take a stand. It's so easy to just kind of step aside and cross your hands and let everything pass you by. You see, it takes boldness to take a stand. It takes knowing what that armor is all about. And look, I didn't just do all this to waste time. 
I'm telling y'all right now, you need to understand those pieces of the armor. You don't have to understand that it's a shield and a breastplate. That's all symbolic. But understand the pieces behind it. Understand faith. That Faith is the substance of everything hoped for. And that, that that's one of your most important pieces. Faith. If you lose your faith, you got nothing. But you need that Word, the sword of the Spirit. It's our only weapon. only thing to hold the enemy off of us. Man, I tell you, there's times that I feel like, the, like he's just jumping on my back, hitting me in the back of the head, working me over. And I sometimes just don't have the presence of mind to, to pull out my sword. Y'all ever get like that? And then all of a sudden, somebody will say something to you, and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I had a sword. <laughs> Imagine that. Could have been using a sword all this time, and I've just been taking the heat beating in the back of the head. Sometimes I don't know what I'm thinking, or that I'm not thinking really, I guess. Anyway, let's go ahead and close tonight. Y'all stand with me, and let's be dismissed. Yeah. Sure.